All right, well, welcome. So glad everybody could make it this morning. Hope you had a great Christmas. So uh, if this is your first time here, I just want to welcome you. Thanks for coming this morning. So um, yeah, so uh, our services are usually at 9.15 and 10.45. So this is like uh, we're having one service today just because it's Christmas and people are traveling. But So uh, hey, great job. Everybody made it on time. So if there's people that kind of straggle in, whatever, whatever, like really, like really, really late. It's like they just forgot that it was like at 10 this morning. So we'll ju- we won't silently judge them or anything like that. So it'd be great. So anyway, but my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors. Um, yeah. So, uh, so here at River City, we've been preaching through uh, the fruit of the Spirit in, from the book of the Galatians in the New Testament throughout um, the fall right here. So, so we had an Advent sermon last week, and so we're jumping back into that, um, jumping back into the fruit of the Spirit sermon. Um, series like this week. So just to catch you up, so this is just like a, a recap part right here. So, so Paul in chapter 5 in his letter of the Galatians, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says these are the fruit of the Spirit. So what that means is that if you've come to Jesus you've surrendered yourself to him, then the things that Paul lists here in, the, in Galatians 5, this is what the Holy Spirit produces in your heart and life over the course of time in a gradual and progressive way. And as Brandon has mentioned in the previous weeks in this sermon series, this is the fruit of the Spirit, singular, not fruits of the Spirit, plural. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Because when the Spirit produces this, these things in you, these things show up in a, as a package deal over time, this is just a package deal. So in other words, you can't a la carte the fruit of the Spirit. And it's like, well, I'll have this, but not this. And like, no, this is what the Spirit produces as a package deal. So that's why, like, if you, see, if you see this in yourself or if you see it in someone else, like where someone is really excelling at one of these things, but really, really not excelling at other things, or really deficient like in other things on this list, then that just might be a personality trait, or that might just be the fruit of... Uh, their upbringing or the way that they're raised. And this isn't the, the things that Paul lists in this passage right here. This, is the, this isn't the fruit of your personality. This isn't the fruit of your upbringing. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And here at River City, we talk obsessively about the gospel, just like what John was talking about up here. So because the gospel is, is the hub that connects to literally everything in the Christian life, and the fruit of the Spirit is no different with any of that. Because as you'll continue to see in this sermon this morning, um, the, per, the gospel of the person and the work of Jesus is central to everything that the Spirit produces. The Spirit always, always works in concert with the gospel. So the specific fruit of the Spirit that I'm preaching about this morning is gentleness, gentleness. So uh, before I jump in, I just want to say that um, one thing that might just be really obvious, but um, you don't need to be a Christian to know and understand that gentleness is good and desirable and virtuous. That's, That's not a uniquely Christian idea, okay? But that being said, I want us to see this morning that from a Christian perspective, the thing that makes gentleness unique and un- just unequivocally unique and desirable is the gospel. Like that's the thing that we need to see this morning. So gentleness from a Christian perspective is all about the person and the work of Jesus. In that way, the beauty and the uniqueness of the gospel changes everything. 
So along those lines, uh, so this morning, we're just going to be taking a look at the beauty and the uniqueness of the gospel as it relates to gentleness. And the way that we're going to be doing that is I'm going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 11 and just some of the things that Jesus says in there about himself. And I'm kind of going to be taking like a high-level look at that right there. Uh, then I'm going to be talking about some of the ways that gentleness looks for us individually and then some of the ways that gentleness looks for us corporately as a church. Okay, so let's pray. So God... Um, yeah, I agree with what John was praying to you about just earlier. Just like, I pray that you will speak through me. I pray that um, your word will hit people's ears and their hearts, even more importantly, um, just in a really unique and profound way. And, and we thank you that you're the one that produces this kind of stuff as a package deal. And like, that any kind of like um, spiritual growth, like that's ultimately because of you. And you're the one that gets credit for that. So I pray that you'll just really help all of us this morning with just really seeing just like the beauty and the goodness of like gentleness that you embody, Jesus. Yeah, we love you. Amen. So Charles Spurgeon, so he was a preacher in the mid-1800s. He once pointed out that in the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, so 89 thick chapters of biblical text. There's only one place that Jesus tells us about his own heart. So we learn much in the four Gospels about the teachings of Jesus. We learn much about his birth, his ministry, and his, his disciples. We're told much about his travels and his prayer habits. We find much about his lengthy speeches and his, the repeated objections from the crowds and the religious leaders, and that prompts more teaching from him. We learn of the, much about like, the way he understood himself as the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And we learn in all four gospel accounts about his unjust arrest and his shameful death and his plot-twisting resurrection. Now, on top of that, consider the thousands and thousands of pages that have been written by writers and theologians over the course of the last 2,000 years about all these things. But in only one place do we hear Jesus himself open up about what's in his own heart. So Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So in the one place that in the Bible where the Son of God just pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down deep into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is severe and demanding in heart. And of all the true adjectives that, about himself that he could have chosen from, he doesn't say that he is exalted and pure in heart or joy, joyful and generous in heart. And certainly those things are true. But when we let Jesus set the terms for describing who he is at the deepest core of his, his being, his claim is that he is gentle and humble in heart. 
One thing to note is that when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not referring to only to our emotional life, but it's just a junk drawer term that refers to the central animating center of all we do. So our heart is what gets us out of bed in the morning. Our heart is what fuels our imagination. Our heart is the headquarters of our deepest motivations and longings. And the heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but it's at the center of who we are. And when Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply and what is most true of him deep in the center of who he is, when he exposes the innermost recesses of who he is, what he says is, I am gentle and humble in heart. Gentle. He's not trigger happy. He's not harsh or reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He doesn't deal with us with a series of eye rolls and loud sighs. He's eager to understand and identify with sinners and sufferers like us. And the meaning of the word humble in Matthew 11 overlaps with that of gentle, and together those things communicate a single reality about the heart of Jesus. The point of Jesus describing himself as humble is that he's accessible. Because for all his infinite glory and infinite holiness and infinite uniqueness and otherness, Like, no one in history has ever been more approachable and accessible than Jesus. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. And the minimum bar to be enfolded into his embrace is to open ourselves up to him. And that's the only thing that works for him. Verse 28 tells tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus all who are weary and burdened. You don't need to unburden yourself and collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Like, no, no, no. Like, your very burden is what qualifies you to come and no payment is required and no hoops to jump through. He says, I will give you rest. And his rest is, is not a transaction. It's a gift. It's not something we can merit So regardless of whether you're actively working to crowbar your life into being smooth and functional or passively finding yourself being weighed down by something really completely out of your control, the desire in the heart of Jesus is for you to find rest in him. Gentle and humble. According to his own words, that describes the heart of Jesus. That's who he is welcoming, understanding, willing. If we were asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring his own teaching if our answer is gentle and humble. But that, that isn't who he is to everyone indiscriminately. Gentle and humble is, is who he is for those who come to him. And in Matthew 11, he says, come to me. And so the verses right right before these words in, um, in Matthew chapter 11 give us a picture of how Jesus handles those who refuse to come to him. 
In that passage, he pronounces woes on people in, in various cities who refuse to come to him. And Jesus says, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than you. So gentle and humble isn't this mere sentimentalism and this emotional frothiness. Like It emanates from his heart, which is infinitely holy and infinitely good and infinitely just because he's an infinite God. But for those who come to him, his heart of gentleness is never outmatched by our sins and our follies and our insecurities and our doubts and our anxieties and failures. That's because gentleness is who he is. According to him, that's his heart. He can't change from being gentle any more than you and I can change our eye color. That's who he is. And here's where gospel-centered growth, just really like what John was talking about during the announcements right there. This is part of the, where gospel-centered growth just really comes into play because if you're a follower of Jesus and you've come to him, then the reason why we are gentle is because Jesus is gentle. The reason why we are gentle to others is because Jesus is gentle to us. He is gentle, therefore I am gentle. And the gentleness and humility we see in Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit intends to produce in us. That's why gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit, because Jesus embodies that. And the Spirit always works in concert with the gospel. And the gentleness of Jesus, that is life-shaping and life-changing and uh, completely transforms everything about how you think and feel and relate and process the world if you let it be. So what does gentleness look like in practice? So I'm just going to be talking about four things that, and this isn't a to-do list. I don't want to misunderstand this because I'm just going to talk about four of the ways that gospel-centered, spirit-empowered gentleness looks like in practice. And for better or worse, these are just based on observations of other people that I've seen in my life who are, I feel have been really characterized by that gospel-centered, spirit-empowered gentleness that we see in the person and the work of Jesus. So, and of course, there are more than just four of these things, but this is just a good start, I think. So, so let's jump in. So, so one of the ways that gentleness looks like in practice is that gentle people are eager to give the benefit of the doubt. Gentle people are eager to give the benefit of the doubt. Gentle people are typically characterized by a heart that is understanding and compassionate, and they're characterized by not assuming the worst about people's motives and intentions. And, you know, it's... It's really hard for me to put into words, but I just know when I'm around someone who's eager <laughs> to give the benefit of the doubt to people and to situations. And there's just this really intangible amount of gentleness and humility that permeates everything about the way they think and feel and just the way they process the world. And it's not this naive, naiveness or anything like that. It's just like there's just this gentle... Um, sensibility and just like that permeates them on a heart level, that they're just eager to give the benefit of the doubt. 
so Becky and I have talked to, Becky's my wife, um, Becky and I have talked a lot over the years about how we want to give the benefit of the doubt to people in the same way that we want people to give the benefit of the doubt to us. And I think from, I don't think you need to be a Christian to, understand, to see that and everything, but I think like a little bit that can come off as like a kind of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing, because that's not gospel-centered. Like, but, like, but beyond that right there, um, like Becky and I, like, we want to be gentle to others in the way that Jesus is gentle to us. That's where, like, gospel-centeredness really, like, kicks into gear right there. Like, I remember about, like, 10 years ago, um, Becky and I never had this, like, sit-down talk and, like, all right, here's our stated goals and objectives or whatever. It's, like, that's not how we, our marriage rolls or anything. But, so, but about 10 years ago, I remember Becky and I really started, like, to really give the benefit of the doubt in the way that we talked about and thought about people and situations and churches and just life in general. And it was really a game changer for us. And personally for me, um, making that change felt really unnatural and it was honestly just really hard for me. But as I look back on hindsight, that was one of the most underrated, intangible, but valuable changes I ever made in my life because it gradually just changed almost everything that the way that I thought and acted towards like people and life and situations and churches. And bottom of the line, giving the benefit of the doubt and being eager for that reflects God's heart of, gener- of gentleness to us. So related to that, gentle people are gracious and tempered in their opinions. Gentle people are gracious and tempered in their opinions. When I meet someone who is characterized by uh, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered gentleness, like they don't have blustery opinions about life or hot, blustery hot takes about life and people and situations. And it's not that they have an absence of thoughts about life or opinions about things, but they just don't ha- they have a heart of gentleness and self-control that leads them to not airing out their blustery opinions. So before we moved here uh, to Dubuque, um, we lived in a town where there were five older pastors, and they were in their 50s and 60s, and they got together on a weekly basis because they were friends, and um, I ran a college ministry at the local university, and um, so they let these guys, uh, they just let me hang out with them on a weekly basis, because I don't know if they felt sorry for me or whatever, but um, this guy really needs a friend. Anyway, um, so they let me hang out with them on a weekly basis, and that was... Um, through my late 20s and into most of my 30s. So this was a lot of, this was about nine years that we did that. And when I, when I first started meeting with those guys, like it's, it's really embarrassing to admit, and I don't, I've never told these, I don't think I've ever told these guys this, so like hopefully they're not watching this video here right now, but um, when we first started meeting, I think I thought my, to myself something along the lines of, I bet there's, I bet there's a lot of things that these guys can learn from me because I'm running a ministry that's bigger than most of these guys' churches. That is, like, blazingly arrogant, by the way. Okay. But here's the deal. It's so hard to put into words, but the way these guys would talk about people and situations and 
things they might be frustrated about and their churches and just life in general, like the way they talked about all those kind of things were just starkly different than the way that I would talk about those things. Like they were generous and tempered and gracious when talking about people and situations. Like they had zero blustery opinions about anything. Um, the best way to describe them would be gentle and humble. Like it was just really life-changing to have that modeled for me. Like I remember at, eventually at some point thinking to myself like, you know, I'm the one that has the big ministry in this room here, but I'm the one who doesn't get it. These guys are gentle and humble in heart. Next one, gentle people are not harsh with their words. Gentle people are not harsh with their words. So there's a guy that I know who doesn't live in Dubuque. He doesn't live in the tri-state area. And like he once asked his wife, what's the hardest thing about being married to me? That's a really vulnerable question to ask. That's a really vulnerable question to answer, by the way. Uh, so she answered, when we fight with each other, by the end of it, I don't even remember what we're fighting about because I'm so hurt and offended by how unbelievably harsh you are. Now keep in mind that like, there is, when Jesus says, come to me, like, there is grace for those of us who are harsh. <laughs> there is. So let's all remember that. <laughs> um, so keeping that in mind, like when we're... When we're characterized by being harsh with our words instead of being characterized by gentleness with our words, that's a window into our heart, and it's a window into how the gospel needs to come to bear on our thinking and feeling and relating. So, um, like James 4 talks about how, like, fights and quarrels, like, how do those happen? It's like, well, don't they come emanate from, like, your desires that battle within you? In other words, in your heart. So even according to James, like when we have harshness, like that's ultimately like a heart issue. That's not a shape up and stop being harsh issue. Like, like harshness is like ultimately like a heart issue and it's a gospel issue. So conversely, when gospel-centered, spirit-empowered people are met with stress and frustration, the desires of their hearts like results in words that are charitable and gracious and gentle. So next one, gentle people are, allow people to be in process. They allow people to be in process. So gospel-centered people want people to change, and they want themselves to change, and they want others to change. And if you have come to Jesus and you don't desire to have people change, like your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors and your family members and people in your small group, I mean, if you don't desire people to have people change, like, that's a problem, and that's a whole nother sermon. But like, suffice to say, gospel-centered people eagerly desire to see people change, but they're not pushy about it. Gentle people aren't pushy in general, and gentle people don't have an agenda for everyone's life that they're going to kind of be subtle about, subtly pushy about, and kind of be overbearing about. 
Like, gentle people want others around them to experience gospel change on a heart level, but they allow them to be in process. They allow them to be in process. And hear me when I say this. Allowing people to be in process is not an expression of passivity. Like, it's an expression of gentleness. Like, we study, like, in our small groups, about, like, 90% of people who come to River City are in small groups and everything. So um, in our small groups this last year, uh, we studied uh, through the Gospel of Mark. And, man, like, one of the things that just kept coming up over and over and over that was just, like, really jarring every time it happened is that Jesus allowed his disciples to be in process, like, through all those years. Just, like, he just let them be in process, and it's like, huh, like he, Jesus really let them be in process and he really took a long-term view of change and heart-level change and development and following him. It's like, man. Um, and yeah, it was just really jarring to look at. But you know why he did that? Because real, actual heart-level change takes time. And that's how Jesus is with us gentle, patient, understanding, compassionate. That's why we're like that with others. Gospel-centered, spirit-empowered people allow others to be in process. Certainly there are more than those four things that could be said. Like, I mean, I could think of a few more, but like, we didn't bring our sleeping bags today. Like, we just got to go home eventually. But those are the four of the ways that like, um, people... Those are four of the ways that gentleness works itself out as individuals. But another question is, when a group of people are characterized by that that gospel-centered, spirit-empowered gentleness, what does that look like collectively in the culture of a church? So I work full-time here at River City as one of the pastors. Uh, I also moonlight as with my other part-time job as... Uh, I'm the assistant director of church planting for our denomination, which is, well, our district and our denomination, um, which is the Evangelical Free Church. And so I worked in the church planting department. And that's one of the questions that we ask is just like, okay, how can we help our planters throughout the Midwest, who are people, guys who are planting churches, how can we help them understand what it looks like to create a healthy church culture? You know, that's... And I think, like, with all the weird, I mean, not to, I'm not going to rabbit trail this, but a lot of the things that have been going on in 2020 um, with our planters and everything throughout the Midwest, it's like, I think it's really crystallized a lot in my mind of what it looks like to help our planters, like, understand what it means to create a healthy church culture. Because as I've reflected on it more, I think a big part of the answer to that question just really circles back to gentleness and the stuff that we're talking about this morning. So what does gospel-centered, spirit-empowered gentleness look like, not just as individuals, but as a church? Like, how would you describe that? And the way I would describe that is the way that we describe it in our membership class, which is gospel plus safety plus time. Gospel plus safety plus time. And I'm just going to briefly walk through this. So first one is gospel. Like, I mean, we talk about this all the time. It's like the way we grow in spiritual maturity is always to be coming back to the, the person and the work of Jesus and applying the truths of the gospel to our thinking and feeling and relating, okay? That's gospel, okay? So, so that's gospel. The next part is safety. 
And safety is about the kind of culture and environment we create in our social relationships and in our small groups and in our church in general. Safety is about having a culture of non-accusation where no one's pressured or cornered into spiritual maturity, where we pursue spiritual maturity not out of fear of being shamed by others, but instead, we have safety with others so that we can relax and admit what's going on in our lives and our hearts and because we treat each other with gentleness and restraint. And like having a culture of safety in our relationships, not only, there's not only a pragmatic element of that of just like, oh, well, it helps, it works and everything, you know, for creating fruitfulness. Like there's not just like a pragmatic element of that, but like having a culture of safety is ultimately intended to help pe point people to the greater reality that safety is found in Christ. That's the point. The next one is time. And time is such a key element to the equation of... Um, having a healthy church culture that's rooted in gentleness. Because I don't meet many people who grow, grow in spiritual maturity uh, quickly or rapidly. Um, if they do, that's great. I'm not against that. <laughs> so, but, but think about how much time it's taken for you to grow and change. Think about how much change that you still need to do in your life. Like, the world is not divided into people who are complicated and people who are not complicated. We're all complicated. The more I get to know myself over the years, like, I'm like, oh, I'm a lot more complicated than I thought. You know, it's just like we're all complicated. And complicated people like, like us need time and space to consider our lives and apply the truths of the gospel to the deep levels of our heart. And like it or not, like that kind of deep level, heart level change that often happens in jagged and nonlinear kind of ways. That's just reality. That's called being a person. That's how Jesus dealt with his disciples. And as Ray Ortland says, spiritual maturity doesn't happen by setting deadlines for people. So gospel plus safety plus time really sums up the kind of culture we try to strive to create here at River City. And the more I reflect on it, like... Um, much of that kind of culture is really has to do with that gospel-centered, spirit-empowered gentleness that we're talking about this morning. So, and I have to tell you, like, um, if you've experienced that at River City, um, that is ultimately intended to be a reflection of the gospel. If you've experienced like that at all, like. Um, God is the one who gets credit for that because he's the one that produces that. That doesn't come from like a flow chart or whiteboarding it out. It's like that is ultimately the spirit working in concert with the gospel with that. And um, yeah, and like our heart is just to really to create, continue to like be in step with the spirit to create that kind of culture here at River City. And keep in mind that like, man, like, True heart-level, gospel-centered heart growth when it comes to gentleness, that's often measured in years, if not decades. So we can all cut ourselves some slack with that, okay? But also keep in mind that, like, the goal for, is for the spirit to apply this on the heart level of the heart and not just your outward behavior. So with that in mind, you know, sometimes there is a raw obedience that's needed 
in the Christian life where you're like, this is what God says and I need to obey even though I don't want to or feel like it. In other words, like you want to be, like on a heart level, you want to be harsh. On a heart level, you want to be pushy. On a heart level, you want to air out your blustery opinions. On a heart level, you don't want to give the benefit of the doubt. But I'm still going to because this is what God's calling me to. Sometimes there's that raw obedience that's needed in the Christian life. But keep in mind that one of the ways that you know that your heart is being changed by the gospel over the course of time is that raw obedience. That's a place where you visit, but it's not a place where you live. That's how you know that your heart is changing over time and it's being changed by the gospel. So with that in mind, like the best thing that we can all do right now is just remember Jesus. Because like he's the hero of all this. Gent- the virtue of gentleness is not the hero of this. Like Jesus is the, gent- is the hero of all this because that's what he embodies. Like when we take communion here at River City, that's a symbolic way of responding to Jesus and proclaiming that He's the one who lived the life that you were supposed to live. He was gentle in all the ways that you were supposed to but weren't. And he died to death that we were supposed to die. And even to the end, he was gentle to all his enemies and everyone who was making his life miserable. Like when you take communion, that's a symbolic way of responding to Jesus by saying, I've gone my way and not your way. And in your gentle and inviting grace, I'm going to come to you, no strings attached. The bread represents his body and the drink represents his blood. And those things were broken and shed for you. So as the worship team is going to come up here and then... um, play three songs, and we're going to worship through singing together with those three songs. Like, you're invited to take that little communion pack that you picked up in the foyer. Um, You can take that at any time during those three songs. So you don't need to be a member here to take communion. The only prerequisite is that, according to Jesus, you need to come to him. Pray to him. Like, during those three songs, it's like, pray to him. Talk to him. Talk to him in the language of your own heart about just how you're going to come to him and you're going to surrender to him and you're going to follow him. And that's not because you're awesome and it's like, man, you've really well mustered up this, like, this contrition in your heart. No, no, it's like you're going to come to him because of how good he is and how gentle he is and how you want to follow him. Like pray to him and talk to about him with that. Let's pray. God, we're really thankful for, man, just really who you are. I mean, we're thankful that um, you embody, Jesus, like you embodied the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And we need you. We need you to um, help us reflect on your nature and character and who you are. And we pray that you'll, um, during the time of these three songs, and even when we leave, too, <laughs> that we'll just really respond to you and just uh, be reflective of just who you are, God. So 
We pray for just us as individuals and us as a culture of our church. And we pray that we'll really embody those, the fruit of the Spirit, and particularly with gentleness, with what we're talking about this morning. So, yeah, so thanks, thanks for being so gentle with us. Thank you for just showing what that looks like and what that can mean for us. So, yeah, we love you. Amen.